Welcome to By the Glass, a podcast dedicated to boozy beverages and the people who make and drink them. I'm your host, Chris Paldoyan. BTG gang, we are precisely one year into this podcast. I published my very first episodes of By the Glass on April 15th of 2020, which was a fucking shit show of a time, right? I mean, I don't know. For me, it was anyways. You have to be pretty wild. It had to have been a crazy time for me to want to have started a podcast, you know what I mean? Desperate times call for desperate measures. It's hard to go back to that time, um, for me at least, for a lot of different reasons, mainly because like I didn't keep a journal as much as I should have and wanted to. Um, but the days all like bled into one another, right? And uh, this podcast was always something I had wanted to do. It was something that like, I don't know, I had wanted to do it for years and years. I had this like long gestating idea of creating a podcast. Um, to really talk about, you know, other elements of the wine industry. Because I think if you've listened to enough of these episodes, you know that I don't like getting overly technical with a lot of the wine shit. I think it's more fun for us to talk about some of the other elements related to wine and food and to beverage in general. You know, I think all of those other elements play such a big role in our enjoyment of food and beverage. Um, and I think it's also great to be able to highlight people in the Texas community. Yeah, we've had people from other areas as well, but it's always fun for me to be able to bring it back home to the city of Houston and the state of Texas. So what I wanted to do for this birthday episode was check in with a couple of our earliest guests that we had on the show. Um, I'm bringing back Adele Corrigan, who is the general manager and wine director of 13 Celsius, and Ricky Taylor, who is one half of Alta Marfa, the wine project going on in West Texas. So um, without further ado, let's just jump into the conversation I had with Adele. Here we go. Adele, how are you? I'm great. How are you? You're great? Yeah. Happy happy Thursday. Happy Thursday. My pollen allergies are just like super fucked up right now. So Yeah, I, I definitely hit snooze and slept in like an extra hour this morning, but now I feel really good. Oh, good for you. I feel like I did a lot of bad coke or something. My nose is just like super congested. <laughs> it's not ideal. Not 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 a good thing. Um so I think our episode was one of the first five. I remember it was at least one of the first five because uh-huh. I was editing it when I came back from being in Marfa with Ricky Taylor helping plant vines. But yeah, I think when we had our conversation, it was very, very early April and you were offering gift cards to guests uh, where it was like the opportunity for them to like invest in the business and kind of like help support you guys. You guys were doing retail back then, I'm pretty sure, right? Yeah, and that was when everything was closed down. But I think, you know, we were all hopeful that this whole thing was going to blow over and we were going to reopen in like two, three months and everything was going to be fine. (laughs) Oh, funny. (laughs) Oh, hindsight. That's wild. So I guess 13 eventually did reopen after doing retail for on-premise when the governor's orders lifted in, what was that, end of May? Yeah, it was towards the end of May. I think it was like May 28th or 29th. We were able to reopen. And, you know, we took our time. Like we we didn't reopen like the day that they said that we could. I think we needed, I think, like four or five days to like get the band back together, tune the instruments, you know, yeah. stuff like 
that we did like a soft opening for like a day or two just to sort of like make sure everything was still working okay. I had to buy more wine. I mean, like we were doing retail only and we need I needed to rebuild the whole buy the glass list, train the staff on the wine. So we've when were we you rusty at all? Were 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 you like rusty on the steps of service like after having done retail for that like three or four month stretch? I think the one thing that people were the most rusty on was being on your feet for an extended period of time because people you sit down most of the day even like doing retail <laughs> in between orders like we'd go sit down and chill read a book and relax and so it's just like getting used to like standing and wearing shoes the other thing is just like everyone was just really nervous about what was going on and like are we cleaning this the right way are we going to miss something and i mean we had purchased these satchels that go around your waist that you wear. Like if you're like a masseuse and you have like massage oil, we bought those to wear and put hand sanitizer. So we were just hand sanitizing in between every single table and thing that we touched. Like I had like a, uh, like a little chemical burn on my wrist from really? constantly just like washing your hands and sanitizing. Cause we were just also afraid of getting sick ourselves, but also getting one of our guests sick. It was almost a little overboard, you know, thinking about it, but I think like because of like the safety measures that we took made those guests who did venture out feel very comfortable and then tell their friends, Hey, this is a safe place to go. And it ultimately like worked in our benefit. Yeah, totally. But I then mean, you know, five, six weeks later, then we had to shut down again. Yeah. So for people that are listening that aren't from Texas, right. We reopened totally. The governor was like, y'all are open. It's after Easter, like have fun. Things opened, cases spiked. And then it was in, was it June or July when things shut back down again? Yeah. Like late June, almost. Yeah. Sometime I think. So it was, it was like five or six weeks that we were open total. Was it hard? Because wine is priced very differently if it's consumed on site versus for retail, yep. right? Yeah. So all of a sudden you had all these wines that you had adjusted down in terms of price for retail, yep. but then you need to cover the cost of you know, staff and operations, glassware, the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like all of that goes into that added price when you consume a wine at a bar or at a restaurant compared to in a retail capacity. So right. now all of a sudden you have all these wines, you put them on the menu, you've opened back up for full service and then you have to go back to retail, right? How did that oh, yeah. work? Oh, just the amount of time, like on the spreadsheets and updating, you know, the menus and oh, the website and like the whole thing. And then also just like at that point, restaurants were allowed to be open, but bars weren't. And we were still categorized as a bar. And so that was when things got really just difficult because people were still going out to restaurants and no one was coming to get to go. No one was coming to get retail because why? They're like, oh, well, whatever. We can just go down the street to so and such restaurant and have whatever experience with whatever bottles that we want. And so that's when things really kind of slowed down. And and then we we really had to kind of furlough quite a bit of staff, unfortunately. We're talking was, late summer, right? Yeah. Yeah. So this was July through late September that we were closed. And that was the longest period. And it was just like, it got kind of hairy, you know, things just really slowed down quite a bit. Our air conditioner broke. I remember at the building and it had to be replaced. You know, the building we've been open for almost, you know, 14 years at the time had the same air conditioning unit since then. So this massive expense of having to purchase a brand new air conditioner, like in the middle of July at the time when we had almost no revenue just was just on top of like all the other things, things, uh, they were not so much fun that second time that we were closed. What kind of got you through that period of time? Cause 
I imagine that is perhaps even more stressful than in March and April when everyone's going through it. But now you're having this weird kind of like dichotomy of bars being closed and just hemorrhaging cash. No one's wanting to get to go after having the experience of, you know, being able to dine on site. Yeah. So, I mean, two things that really got us through that period, one of which is I took a bunch of really high end stuff and just 50% off basically at cost just to keep things liquid. I mean, we took some of our like super rare vintages, old champagne, first, you know, premier crew, grand crew wines, some like, I think we had some like Chave Hermitage or something like that. that were yeah. You, you were selling Nicolas Jolie, like, yeah, like both. 2001 Jolie, just, you know, basically at cost just to keep things. Moving. We put on Instagram first person to like, call in and either pay for it or come in and purchase it, you know, got the one or two bottles that we had on on hand and basically like depleted a lot of like the high end cool stuff that we had. (laughs) But, you know, it was like a necessary thing to do just to keep some sort of cash flow because then, you know, with that few hundred dollars that we might've made selling that one bottle, then I was able to purchase like some cheaper wines, which is what the majority of the people who were coming in to support us for retail were looking for. They were looking for the, you know, 15 to $25 bottles that they could just like take home and just pound on the patio, have with dinner. Cause I think people as well were becoming a little bit more conservative with their funds and their spending. Um, so that was one thing that definitely helped. And then the other thing that helped a lot was that, you know, Kristen and I were doing talk taste travel, which is sort of a, the zoom travel and wine series. And we were doing it every single Wednesday and the series ran April through the mid mid December. We did it almost every single week. And so people would come in, buy the wines, tune in for the episode. Um, and that drove majority of our retail, you know, business is people coming back every single week to pick up the wines to do that tasting. So that was good. And that was a lot of fun. Now that you're open again, spoiler alert, like you guys are back up and running, right? Right. But um <laughs> Are those virtual tastings something you think that you'll continue into the future? Like, have they have they been doing well? Like, I know you did one just the other day, right? Yeah. So we just had one yesterday, and it's the second one that we've done this year. And it's, you know, it's April. We've only done two. Um, the one that we did in, I think, late, no, early February, you were with us, Chris, for when we did the, the Basque one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, we'd like to start doing them once a month, but I do feel like maybe the – people are wanting to do in-person stuff now. Like people are wanting to get back to some sort of normalcy, but some of our loyal guests who have been to most other episodes were there last night, had a really good response. And like, I love doing it. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun just to have that conversation with the guests, but also, you know, we have like guest speakers that will zoom in from other parts of the world. Like we'll get winemakers from whatever region we're talking about, to like zoom in and, and you get to have sort of like a more intimate experience with that. And, you know, it's always fun to do the research you, you learn more when you teach something to someone else. Mm-hmm. So for me, I think it was also a, re- a really good resource to like stay on top of, on top of the game, totally. but, you know, being open for full service, you just don't have as much time to do it once a week. And then my counterpart, Kristen, who owns her own luxury travel agency, um, she's busier than ever. She's got all of these people who are like, we're vaccinated. Take me to France. And she's like, cool. We can't go there just yet, but you know, South Africa, Iceland, Greece, like all these places are opening and she's got all of these amazing trips booked for these people that are, I mean, they're itching to go. They're ready. When we spoke last year, you were, you were, you had just found out that the Italy was not going to happen. This big thing that you traditionally go to every year, this big wine festival, are there plans to bring that back this coming March and April? So it's canceled again for this year. It actually would be going on 
I think right now, like my, usually it's the second week of April and it's four days long. It's like the world's largest wine convention. Hmm. Um, my Facebook pops up with your memories that are like, oh yeah, two years ago you were here doing this cool thing. Like, um, so it's canceled for now, but they do have dates for April of 2022. Um, the, company that I usually travel with, she has already reached out to book the apartment that we normally stay in. So I think it's pretty optimistic. And, and, you know, if, if Europe can get the vaccine efforts ramped up, you know, Mm. I think a definite possibility that by this time next year, we'll hopefully be able to go back. But in the meantime, it's been really cool because we've had some zoom tastings with some of the Italian producers. We just had one actually on Tuesday with Scatchity Avali, a producer from Umbria that makes um, one of the first sparkling Sagrantinos done in a Blanc de Noir style. Um, in, in addition to like one of the oldest estates that works with Sagrantino on Monte Falco in, in, in Umbria. Um, so they did like a little Zoom tasting. They had like shipped wine to a bunch of people around the United States and then kind of like talked about the new vintage. So it's kind of the same thing that you do at Vanitaly. You taste the new vintage with the producer, but we just did it virtually. And so that was, that was, you know, a nice alternative, but it's still not the same as being in person. Yeah, totally. Do you have any trips planned yourself? Are you going anywhere? Well, yes, we're going out to Portland in a couple of weeks. So, you know, part of COVID and like the lockdown last year is that we postponed our wedding. Um, Dan and I are getting married in October. We found this really cool destination sort of in wine country, just outside of Portland and decided to change our plans and our date. And so we're getting married in October. So we're going out in a few weeks to do like a tasting with the caterer that we found and do like an in-person tour of the venue. Cause otherwise we've only seen it virtually. And then I think we get to do like a cake tasting and like a couple other things. But while we're there, we're going to visit a winery or two. I have yeah. Uh, yeah reservations with Irie Vineyards because I've, I've never been to Willamette Valley. And like, I feel like if you're going to go like do the OG, do, yeah. do Irie if you have time to do anything, do that one. So, um, that's the one plan that I have so far. That's awesome. That'll be fun. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think what else. I mean, now you're back up and running. I mean, looking back on the past 12 months, were there any bottles of wine that really stood out to you that you consumed throughout the novel coronavirus? We opened up a lot of stuff. I feel like a lot of our personal collection was depleted. <laughs> we had some of those like, you know what, we're – it's Wednesday. Like, let's go get like a, you know, to go steak from Georgia James that we're then going to cook ourselves and open up, you know, this like Oh one Barolo or, um, you know, last night we had like a bottle share with some friends and someone brought, um, this 98 Montrachet Grand Cru from Domaine Jacques Prior. That was one of the best ones I think I've had in a really long time. That was, it was so special. And to be able to share it with other wine professionals who also were like, holy crap, this is good. Um, that was like one of those moments where this is, this is like what Chardonnay around the world aspires to be. It was, that was really cool. Oh, normally yeah. like Chardonnay, Chardonnay goals. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> so normally not like a Chardonnay drinker and I usually can't afford the fancy burgundies on the day to day. You're not drinking 98 Montrachet just for yeah. breakfast, brushing your teeth with that, doing a little mouthwash of Montrachet. I need to buy more scratch off lottery tickets to be able to do that. There we go. <laughs> well, listeners will also want to know how your two cats are doing. Um, if you go back and listen to that episode, Adele talks about her two kitties, both named Jelly. One is white Jelly, one is gray Jelly, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so the OG Jelly, um, he has been on a diet since 
I guess the fall because we decided he was a little bit too fat and uh, we wanted to make sure that he's healthy for his, the for rest his wedding, of the year. For, for being the ring bearer. For the wedding, yeah, wedding. yeah. And for the wedding. Um, so yeah, so he is now down to almost a comfortable, healthy weight from the vet, but he has hated every part of it and he has let us know every single day how much he hates it. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, the other jelly, white jelly, um, uh, we've been nicknaming her Tucci's lately, kind of like Tucci's pizza. I don't know. She's uh, she's fluffy and happy, and I think she really enjoys us being home a lot. You know, Daniel got a new job in um, uh, early this year, and he's fully remote, so she has attention all the time. And I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and for listeners that maybe were somewhat aware, and the freeze that happened in Houston uh, about a month and a half ago. I guess at this point, it's exactly two months ago. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it was uh, the 15th. Valentine's Day. Yeah. So yeah. so two months ago, we had that wild and crazy freeze. Was 13 Celsius okay during that? Yeah, we were ended up being totally fine. Um, I, I guess I wrapped the pipes good enough because we didn't have any mm-hmm. breakage. And I tried to bring in all of the plants as much as possible and wrap up the rest of them. So we only had to replace a couple of things. Of course, you know, we were closed. Oh my gosh. I think we were closed until Friday or Saturday. And the main issue is that we couldn't get enough bottled water to reopen for service. You know, 13, we don't have a kitchen. We don't have burners. I don't have massive pots to boil water. So everywhere had like a limit on how many cases or gallons you could purchase. And so it just took us a day and a half to accumulate enough water to safely open to be able to serve and, and, you know, wash glasses and dishware. Um, we found this one place, like I went in and then 30 minutes later I sent someone else and 30 minutes, someone else went to like, to go buy water. That was nuts. Yeah. For listeners, right. The the freeze itself was part of the problem, but then there was a boil water work. There was a boiled water warning in effect for like, I think a week afterwards. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so that, and that was so unexpected too. And let me tell you what, you don't realize how much water you use when you flush the freaking toilet. Like, <laughs> holy moly, we waste so much water just every time. If it's yellow, let it mellow. If it's brown, yeah. flush it down. That's the, that that's was, the, uh, that's the motto, baby. Yep. That, what, that happened. <laughs> <laughs> well, you also have a, co- a lot of litter box. You, you've got quite the litter situation, um, for your we cats. So that oh, okay. not that desperate. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, Adele, is there anything else you want to let people know about 13 Celsius, uh, where they can find you, where they can find the bar, uh, what they should expect in the next, you know, 12 months to come from 13? Yeah. So we're located in Midtown Houston on Caroline street. Um, visit our website, 13 celsius.com and follow us on Instagram at 13 Celsius, uh, stay in the know with all of our upcoming events. If you subscribe to like our newsletter, which you can find the link via our website. Um, and also if you follow us on social media, then you'll be, um, up to date with whenever we do any tastings or events or dinners or whatever else. Um, in the future, I mean, we're looking for staff right now, which I feel is the common thing that everyone is looking for. Um, the one change that we're looking to make soon is we'd like to be open till 2 a.m. seven days a week. Right now, we're only open uh, until 2 a.m. on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. The rest of the days, we close at midnight. But mm. just make that one change. I need a bar back and another hmm. bartender just to make that one change. Wow. Uh, and then going forward, you know, as things slowly get back to normal, if we decide to expand our occupancy, because right now we're still at about 50% inside. If we wanted to add more tables and chairs, I need more staff. I need more hands. Um, so 
you know, we're, we're looking to hire some people right now. Hell yeah, dog. Well, yeah. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank um, you. Looking forward to it. Talk soon. Cool. Bye. Isn't Adele just like the best? She She's a rock star, truly one of the most hospitable people in the city. If you have not yet returned to 13 Celsius, please do so. You can sit on the patio if you want to be outdoors, if you want to brave the interior. They have the table socially distanced, so you're good to go. So we had a chance to hear from the perspective of someone whose business was affected by the pandemic and how they've kind of weathered the past 12 months. Now what I want to do is I want to check in with Ricky Taylor. Ricky, right, it was the guest that I had in, what episode was Ricky? Gosh, I think it was like episode six, I want to say. I think it was six. I'm like 80% sure he was six. Anyways, um, yeah, I'm pretty sure he was six. Anyways, whatever episode Ricky was, he fucking crushed it. Both he and his wife Katie started Alta Marfa, a wine project in West Texas. And a lot has happened over the past year. So let's hear what he has to say. Here we go. What a time. Yeah. Your beard looks good. Yeah, you know, it's doing its thing. It's doing its thing. The thing is growing. Like your vineyard. Yeah. Beard beard better than, than vineyard, you know. Beard what do you mean by that? Well, growing grapes is hard. Growing a beard is very easy. Your your beard is own rooted. That's pre phylloxera uh, <laughs> rootstock you got right there on that face of yours on the money maker. This is the truth, baby, baby, baby. This time last year, I was gearing up to come out and visit you. What day did you drive out to Marfa? I don't remember. I drove back and forth from Houston to Marfa like. 30 something times last year, I think. Holy guacamole. That's some like intense podcasting slash audiobook listening. I don't know. Yes. I definitely listened to several episodes of your podcast. We're plugging the podcast on the podcast. That's some inception level shit right there. Yeah. I love it. Did you listen to like any other audiobooks though? Or was it mostly just a lot of pop music? No, many audiobooks is what I normally listen to. So I, I've listened to in a year, I don't know, 40 or 50 probably. Wow. it's a lot. A lot of driving and a lot of uh, working in the vineyard alone. So lots of <laughs> huge amounts of time for uh, audiobooks. Your first year you planted, everything died because of some sort of like... Yeah, so that was 2018. We planted 6,000 vines and then the nursery got back to us a few months later and said oh there we had an issue so like yeah out of six thousand, we had like 400 vines not die it's rough that's it's about on par with like covid numbers for march yeah, yeah exactly exactly so then 2019 we got six thousand vines again and replanted all the replacements um and had like 90 percent success initially with those so that was pretty good and then last year last april we planted a thousand more vines, like more replacements. And those seemed to do pretty well. Although last year it basically didn't rain at all. Really? Like zero rainfall. Um, so that was definitely difficult. Um, and then just sort of since then, the the main learning curve has been because of COVID, we've been able to like be here. Mm-hmm. the whole time rather than being in Houston coming out for like 24 hours and trying to fix broken stuff and leaving. 
So I think I've just have a much better hold now on what is going to need to happen and what's going to need to change and what to do in order to like successfully grow grapevines rather than just sort of like barely keep them alive in a like <laughs> stunted form, which yeah. is basically what's been happening so far. So yeah, I'm about to, I have about a hundred Sinso cuttings that I took from the neighbor's vineyard and I've been rooting on like unrooted in a box in a closet and I'm scrambling right now to like rebuild part part of the irrigation system in the vineyard and also put in posts so that I can plant those cuttings on different spacing. They're going to be 10 foot by 10 foot spacing. So that's like a hundred cuttings. And then I have 50 more cuttings of that I got from UC Davis that are obscure to most red varieties from Portugal. Um, I've, I think 10 different ones. Any you want to shout out that the listeners might not know of, but you're interested in? Tinta Barroca. There's, there's a bunch of Tintas and a bunch of mm-hmm. Rigas. And wasn't it a bunch of Portuguese varieties that they started permitting in Bordeaux a couple of years ago? The Bordeaux Wine Council decided that oh, they wanted like to permit. Yeah. Mitigation. Yeah. And that's what people have been trying that in Napa. Dan Petrosky, I think, is trying some of that at, at uh, Lark Mead in Napa. Um, Hell yeah. But so we got those reds. Those are going to go in also unrooted. I'm rooting those right now. Maybe what we can do is we can let listeners know what the past 12 months have looked like for you. Because when they last checked in with you, we had just planted a bunch of stuff. You with your wife, Katie, had come out to Marfa and you were splitting your time. And you were still in that mentality of figuring out how you were going to continue the project with everything else that you had going on. And there was just so much uncertainty in the world. Cause when I was out visiting you, right. Oil had just gone negative in price. Yeah. Um, I remember <laughs> us in the vineyard talking about that and you were just like refreshing your phone, looking at oil prices. Yeah. Like it was a wild time. So um, what's gone on over the past 12 months? So, yeah, I mean, at that point we were still, we were early on in COVID and we were still, I would say still living in a pre COVID world Altamarfa wise, which was, I was working in the oil industry in Houston full-time. Katie was working at a restaurant full-time in Houston and COVID had happened. So restaurant job gone for Katie. So she's unemployed and I still have my job, but was working remotely now. So all of a sudden, well, we don't need to be in Houston anymore. We can come out here and work more after work in the vineyard. Yeah. And we did that for a few months going back and forth and still, you know, we were living in Houston, but coming out here and trying to make the most of being able to be out here because that was so difficult to do before. Mm -hmm. And then in June, oil industry still struggling, COVID still going on. Uh, I had an opportunity to leave. My company was sort of doing sort of asking for volunteers to take uh, they're asking for human sacrifices, voluntary yeah, human yeah, sacrifices. Exactly. It's sort of like they were going to lay people off probably. So they, if anyone wants to go, you know, voluntarily go for it. Um, and I did that. How much time did you think about that? Like what, what was the thought process there? So they, they did like only a enormous corporation could, could figure out how to do it. They did it in a way that you sort of had to, bid on how many months severance you would take. 
And, and you would say a number and they would say no. And then you would say lower number and they would say no. And you were like going in this thing. So there was sort of this long drawn out process. And at first it was just sort of like, I, I was just sort of like, oh, I'll say a really high number and maybe, you know, whatever. And they said no. So like it, it, and then it evolved into like, at the same time, working from home here was just not great. I think what I've learned since then is I think, you know, I, I for the most part, enjoyed that job that I had for eight years but I think what I realized is mostly the only things I liked about it were going into the office and hanging out with a bunch of smart people every day. Your job is much more solitary now. Yeah. Well, and once, once that was removed and working remotely, I realized I did not get anything out of that job. And then it, I started that, well, okay. And I eventually made the decision to leave and then immediately regretted it. When you say like immediately, like how long afterwards? Like uh, 15 seconds. <laughs> 15 seconds. And I, I, I immediately called my boss and I was like, actually, you know what? Can I like take it back? Can I like not do that? And he was like, oh, okay, let me check. And ended they up. They were like, no take backs, no take yeah, backs. Yeah, no, the answer was no, no take backs. So, so oh, then yeah. I felt pretty bad about it for like two weeks because I didn't really make a plan. Did you open a really nice bottle of wine? You were like, fuck it. You know, did, what did you do remember. that I don't night? Remember. I have no memory of, of wine. <laughs> So I felt bad about it for two weeks. And then I eventually was just like, okay, well, I didn't make a plan before doing this. It was just probably stupid. So I guess I just have to make a plan now. That's sort of the next thing. So I spent, that was in June. I basically spent the next six months creating like a 10-year business plan to do something that before was sort of a hobby, very part-time. And it's like, well, now... If I'm gonna if I'm gonna make this an actual business and only do this, this is the this is when I have to do it. So I spent six months doing that, explored all avenues of getting kind of startup money from like SBA loans to sort of crowdfundy type things like NextSeed, which is a Houston-based thing. Ultimately, all of those people, several banks, NextSeed were sort of like, oh, you have a really good plan, but we would only be interested in loaning you money if you were like three or four years into this plan. Hmm. Meaning by that time, I would already have a fully established business making money and I would not need any money from them. So basically no, no chance of getting money. It was sort of, and then I got things like, Oh, you know, this would be a lot easier if you still had your income that you had before. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, thanks. Yeah. Thanks for that. That's really helpful information. Yeah. That's a great advice. Yeah. So <laughs> That didn't end up happening. And I sort of made the plan and was sort of like, you know, one thing I've tried to do over the past like five years with Altamarfa is, you know, slowly, organically build a network of people who are interested in what we're doing. That's sort of the reason for the blog, whatever, is to make people feel like if, if, if not even financially, but just invested in what we're doing. They want to see what happens. They're, they're intrigued by the story. So in February of this year, after working on that sort of pitch, it was like 20 page document, something like that, sent it out to a bunch of people, sort of family, friends, and then people who subscribed to the blog, people from Instagram, and shared that plan with them with the idea that like, hey, if, if you think this is good, will you loan us money? The bank won't do it, but will, will you loan us money? Um, and we ended up get, reaching our goal in like seven days. Yeah. I mean, it was down to the point where when I sent it out and it's like, Oh, the first person said they'll give us $2,000 to like, Oh, but we have a long way to go. I would say it was like when we got like 90% of the money, um, which $200,000 was our, was our goal. 
Mm-hmm. I think it's very important. A lot of this gets glossed over in the wine industry that like people talk about in more specifics, like what it takes to to try to do this. Our goal was $200,000 when we got near like, but we said we would take 150 as like a minimum. Like well, that was the minimum to take any money. When we passed 150, it was kind of like, wow, this is, I uh, didn't really like think, I still thought it wouldn't happen until like exactly it did happen. <laughs> um, but so we got, we got money from like almost 30 people. Um, that's a pretty high average then. If you hit 150K with just 30 people, I mean, that's, it was pretty it was, good numbers. It was split between like the minimum and then like a lower number of like higher amounts. So, so yeah, yeah the average was, was bigger, higher than I thought it would be. But so that was a huge thing. That was, so there was basically two big things that needed to happen for this to not just fail before it ever started, which one was get that money. The second one was we need our a winery space. The last two years we've made wine at Robert Clay Vineyards in Mason, which is five and a half hours away from here. That's been an amazing opportunity without Dan letting us do that. We wouldn't have made any wine by now, probably. So like that, that's been great, but not sustainable long-term and, and we, there's no space for us to grow there. We made in 2020, 250 cases, 250 cases there in 2020, but we couldn't really go much beyond that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we in the past year have tried to buy one building for a winery and it fell through. We bought a lot and then we're sort of run off it by neighbors. You and Southhold getting run off your land by ornery yeah. neighbors. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So we tried to buy another building. It turns out that guy no longer owned it due to failure to pay property taxes, which was just sort of like a sad situation. Hmm. And then went through several, looked at several places and now we hopefully will be signing a lease on a place for our own winery space, potentially tomorrow. Dang, so very this, soon. This good timing. Yeah. So yeah, still, still have anxiety that it will somehow fall through, but at this point we don't have any other options, so it better work. Has like Marfa West Texas real estate like blown up over the past year? Like as you've gone through this process of looking for stuff? No, not really because so what we, there are no wineries here. There's not even any buildings that remotely resemble that. So what we ended up ha- ha- finding is, is a guy who owns a commercial lot and is also a builder and it's right on the main drag in Marfa. In Marfa proper, like in, in the town. In the town, which would be very cool. Hell yeah, dog. Yeah. We were talking about at the start of the pandemic, right? Katie had been furloughed from her restaurant job she's now in a graduate program for food right yeah she is finishing soon pretty soon her second semester at nyu food studies and i think she's really really enjoyed that i think it's been very challenging and educational you were talking about how you were at dan mclaughlin's site making wine earlier in 2020 like you harvested fruit i believe fruit that was coming from what was it um new mexico Yes. So we made three wines from New Mexico, a vineyard, New Mexico, a Chenin Blanc, a Chardonnay, and then a 50-50 blend of those two that was uh, fermented on the skins for like eight months. It's a long ass time for juice to be on skins. It's a long time. It's, it's, I think people will very much like it. I, I had a taste last night. I think it's mm-hmm. shaping up. We're waiting for our label approval on those should happen any day, and then we will be labeling it and it will be released which i'm very excited about 
So ETA for listeners, you think it's going to be maybe like early June? You think when these wines are going to drop or? Yeah, I what I'm thinking right now is that we will probably see them at restaurants and bars and stores maybe in June. And then they'll go for sale on the website shortly after that and probably will be shipped in like October when it's not hot anymore. Yeah, that makes sense. Checks out. Yeah. Anything else you want to let listeners know about everything that's going on at the winery, all these changes, all this turbulence, all this uh, growth over the past year? Uh, I don't know. Like, like you said, it's, it's a lot has happened. So it's, it's sort of hard to put all into a small package, but I think the main things are, you know, we didn't give up and it looks like we're going to release some wine and make wine this year. So that's great. I deem that a success. Not only will we have made wine in 2020, but we get to do it again this harvest season, probably starting in July. So, And you got to double down on the wine. I mean, like you said earlier, there was a more hobbyist sort of approach to the way you were doing things previously because it was a weekend yeah. activity. And now it's like you're in it to win it all, it. all in. Accelerate. It, it was an accelerated path. Yes. Um, you got to where you wanted to go a little more quickly. Yeah, absolutely. Hell yeah, dog. What was your favorite bottle of wine you drank in 2020? Oh. And you can't say one of your own wines. Oh, it definitely wasn't one of my own wines. <laughs> <laughs> definitely wasn't one of my own wines. I don't know. I had some really good uh, La Clarine Farm wines from Sierra Foothills. Petit Mensang, that's one of my favorites. There were several, actually, this is a good answer. There, you know, because of the world was ending, a bunch of people did library releases that had never done that before. La Clarine Farm was one. So I got to try some like 10-year-old Petit Mensang. Uh, Dan Petrosky at Massacan also did a library release. So we're drinking some like 10-year-old Sauvignon Blanc. Oh, hell yeah. That's Napa, cool. That was insane. It was, uh, yeah. Those are old white wine. There's nothing better than old white wine. So yeah. what about you? What's your, you got to tell me your number one bottle. Dang dog. What was uh top bottles of 2020 include the uh, bottle of birth year Dom that I brought back from Japan. It was a 1990 Dom that Same I brought back. Year. Oh, that man. was, that was very tasty. Um, the Japanese pet nats that I brought back from Japan or had while I was in Japan really enjoyed Hirotake Woka's, um, uh, he makes a Syrah in Kornos that was very delicious. I drank that. And then I had his Zabibo, his Muscat de Alessandria bottling that he does in Japan. Um, so that was super delicious. I'm a big Zabibo fan. Yeah, that one's, that one's rad. Other things that I fucking loved in 2020 include the bottle of Jean Vassel. It was just the Brut champagne that he makes, but... I had it while I was on an oyster tour. Um, I was touring an oyster farm. And oh. so just eating literally like three dozen oysters with that bottle of champagne, I fucking like OD'd. I probably got gout on that trip. <laughs> uh, like in that like hour stretch, I probably like- Insta-gout. Yeah, yeah. insta-gout, yeah. I think that's what jumps out, man. I'm trying to think. There, I'm sure I drank other really amazing bottles, but- kind of comes down to those like experiential moments. Like the context was so important with oh, all those other things. You know, we drank some great stuff on our trip. We had those, we had a bottle of Longalore. I had my oh, first bottle yeah. of absentee winery. Um, oh, yeah, absentee. That was a big 2020 when all the laws went away and people were 
shipping, shipping line than they weren't before. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. It was, that was probably the number one discovery from, from that. For people that want to keep in touch with you and know what you're up to, how can people find you on social media and all of the various interwebs? Uh, Altamarfa on Instagram and also our website. I write a blog sometimes and you should go to the website and give us your email address. I love it. Cool. Thank you, Ricky. I appreciate it. Thank you, sir. All right, everyone. That is our show. That is episode 53. We've made it a full year. And I I feel like I should acknowledge it, right? Like this episode was supposed to come out like five days ago, six days ago. It was supposed to come out on April 15th, just in time for the podiversary. If you're listening to it right when it came out, then you're hearing it on April 22nd. Uh, So definitely a little bit late. But you know what? It's because I had a lot of things going on um, that maybe I'll be able to talk about in the coming episodes. In the meantime, you can subscribe to Buy the Glass wherever you stream your audio content on Spotify, Apple, Google, Stitcher, uh, pretty much anywhere you listen to audio. Aside from YouTube. I don't fuck with YouTube. Um, But smash that subscribe button. Do me a favor. Give it five stars. It helps other people find the show. And we'll talk soon. See you next week.